The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. I want to tell you all about my skincare regimen. That sounds so obnoxious, but it's true. I am getting older. I'm in my 40s. Um, I am, I've been using a line called Josh Rosebrook for years and years and years and years since, since its inception. Josh is one of my very best friends. His, his product lines have been anywhere from like Vogue to W to L, every magazine you can think of. It is a plant-based um, company. His his skincare is plant-based. It's organic. Um, I will tell you, he has a new body line coming out and I, I just can't wait. Like I've called him every day and been like, can I have a sample? Like send me something. If you go to joshrosebrook.com and it's um, Rosebrook is R-O-S-E-B-R- Oh, okay. And you order, I'm going to recommend a few products that I can't live without the retinoid serum, um, the vital bomb cream for your face. It's basically just, it's anti-aging. Everything about it is incredible. Like, I'm not just saying that to say it, it's true. 
Um, it keeps me looking young. People tell me I'm going to toot my own horn. My skin looks pretty good for my age. Here's why. This really helps. I really love it. And I really swear by it. If you order any of his products, you can add with my code judging Megan, you'll get an additional hydrating accelerator accelerator spray, which I swear by. It's the best thing ever. Limit one per order, limit one per customer. And I am going to start the show. Okay, everyone. Um, I have to tell you that I usually like know what my story is before I'm going to before I'm going to start the podcast, I have an idea of what I'm going to talk about. And Rachel, my guest, I'm going to bring in in a second. I just told her, I'm like, I'm a complete hot mess. I've had like one of those mornings where like, I'm just really tired. And like, I've just been annoyed all morning and yelling with my kids and it's summer, which everyone's like, oh, your kids are home. It's the most blessed time of the year. No, it's not. Except for teachers. It is a blessed time of year for you. Um, I went downstairs to ask my husband. He usually makes me a cup of coffee before I record if he's home, which is super sweet. And I went downstairs and my dog, RBG, who I talk about a lot, who's horrible. When I put her in the backyard, she just barks and barks. And we have somebody installing something in our kitchen. So I went downstairs and, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I do have a, um, a cheetah robe. So it's like a, it's like a cotton cheetah robe. And I actually will admit that I asked for it for Christmas. So I got a robe like the Saturday night live skit, walk downstairs and it's short. Like, it's not like too sexy, but it's like a cheetah robe. And I walk downstairs and the workers are down there and I go, Ron, are you going to put the dog, the dog inside? You have to do something with the dog. I'm about to start recording. And the two men from Home Depot, like, looked at me like, what is she doing? Like, I am now convinced before they left that they thought I was a porn star. <laughs> so I'm just going to start out with that story. And I'm going to bring Rachel Freeman in. Hi, Rachel. Have you ever had that Hi. happen to you? Where you're in a cheetah robe and, like, workers are in your house? And no, probably not, right? I mean... I live in a studio apartment, so if there were workers in my house and I and I didn't know about it, there'd be some some issue there. But honestly, I didn't think about it. I was like, why are they either they were looking at me weird because they felt sorry for me because I was wearing a cheetah robe or whatever they thought. Or I got upstairs and I was like, oh, my God, what is I wonder what they're thinking I'm recording because I really do kind of look like I was like getting ready for, I don't know what they were thinking, but it was hysterically funny. And I started laughing to myself when I got upstairs. Anyways, Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's I, I've been on your podcast um, called Hungry to Live and we connected, I don't even remember how, probably over social media or something. And you also are um, a teacher, which I love. You're a special ed teacher. So shout out to all the teachers, especially special ed teachers. Get a spe have a special place in everyone's heart. How are you doing today? I am good. Um, I can just say I, I relate to you in the sense of I have like this small gap in my curtain and it like faces my landlord's bedroom window. And I'm always afraid, like <laughs> they're going to sneak a peek of something. And I'm like, ah, 
<laughs> I, I yeah. empathize with you. <laughs> okay. Um, well, try, try not to wear your cheetah robe in front of the window, Rachel. I mean, the problem is, is I don't have a cheetah robe, so I don't know what I'd be wearing. <laughs> I think everybody needs a cheetah robe. I'm just going to say that if you know me, you know, I have a love of anything animal print and always have since the minute I came out. Um, I want to start by just talking about your yourself, your life. Um, kind of, we're going to get into why you also are on kind of a path of um, promoting mental wellness, mental health matters, all of the things that you are important to you are obviously important to me. So let's start out with um, how you grew up and where you're from. So I was born and raised in Burbank, California with a bunch of celebrities, wannabe celebrities, child actors, child models, models, um, pageant, people who were in pageants, like you name it. I was part of a, a larger group of, let's just put out there, like aesthetically pleasing people. And growing up, I did some modeling, I did some acting. And it kind of started there with um, the body image issues and the the lack of self-esteem um for a, a very long time between fourth to sixth grade i was the main model for kmart in puerto rico but never knew that all this stuff was going to puerto rico until one day they decided to wrap me up in christmas lights in a sundress and my mom was like what's going on it's the middle of summer and they're like oh we're just getting ready for christmas we're sending all this to Puerto Rico. My mom's like, oh, that's why we haven't seen any of her campaigns. <laughs> um, so we start there. And then um, I, I was in many different um, uh, wardrobe trailers and in different fittings. And they would always, there would always be like some uh, talk behind the scenes with the adults. And I could hear them. And it was always like, why are you going to put her in that? she's got curves or you don't want that part of her body to be seen. And I've always been petite, but I've also always played sports. So I'm muscular and, you know, hearing stuff like that over and over again as a child, like you start to internalize that because I thought I was fine, but these adults that were around me never thought I was fine or these outfits accentuated parts of my body that were either changing or in the process of a like transition from like child to uh preteen and like yeah I was fully developed by the time I was 13 so how to like figure let, that let out. me stop you right there I'm sorry to talk over you but it's very similar to what I went through that exact age too mm -hmm. exact age although I was chubby like but I look back on pictures now and I'm like, I wasn't even like, I was cute. Like, yeah, I went through a little chubby phase from like fifth to like, probably like fourth around the same time as you fourth to sixth grade. And I was a dancer and I was pursuing acting as a kid, you know, but musical theater and, but the dance part was the part. And I remember a teacher one time saying to me, same thing. I was curved. I've always been curvy and said to me, um, I was in this like modeling school. We had this like stupid modeling thing that I was doing. And she was like, you have such a pretty face, and, but you need to lose weight. And I was like in fifth or sixth grade. And 
you know, and that's where it all begins that, that age, which, you know, is so impressionable. So I want to, I want to, I wanted to point that out because it was around the same time as you were getting it. And then just being in Hollywood, you know, you're in Burbank, you were, grew up in Burbank, just so my listeners know, because I have listeners think, thanks to my listeners that listen to me all over the world. Um, Burbank is like, if you live in Los Angeles, it's like one big, like I, I grew up in Washington, DC, but really I grew up in Maryland, but I say I'm from DC. So it's kind of hard to explain, but Burbank is like where they shoot most of the movies. It's where all the movie studios are. A lot of times if people like say they want to move their family cross country because their kids want to get into show business, they move to Burbank. Am I right on that? Yeah. 100%. So like, Back in the the 90s, I mean, all the way through like the 70s, 60s and 70s, like Johnny Carson did his show there, Jay Leno, um, NBC's there, Warner Brothers is there, Universal is like right on the other side of the hill. It's literally the hub of Hollywood. And then you go to Hollywood. (laughs) So yeah, I was in the... I was in the heart of all of that. And thank you for sharing your story, Megan. It It's very interesting, like how many girls go through this process during their adolescence or preteens. And even now there's a lot of boys that are starting to come out and talk about their, their changes within their body. And so I just felt so removed. Like I never felt myself in my body and going back and looking at pictures, I, I was like, there's, I was amazing. Like my body was fine, but because I was fully developed, I, and still to this day, sometimes I equate the size of my breasts as like my whole body, (laughs) because that's what I see first. And it, I am, it's very challenging for me sometimes to find clothes that fit because I thank God I'm blessed with like, being top heavy, but at the same time, I'm small and then I'm not small. And then because the part of me that's not small is what people see first. That's always what I see first. So then I equate that as like, that's the size of my waistline, which is totally not the case. And, um, It's It's so true. I went through the exact same thing and just working in corporate America. I mean, I finally, and I'm open about what I do to my face or my body, um, I'm super vain. Um, I ha- I ended up getting a breast reduction like after I had my second kid because I was just like, I can't, I don't want this to be, I was uncomfortable. I was having back issues, but I can relate to what you're saying that people, you know, if you're busty, you always kind of like have this feeling of like, well, I guess I'm like heavy because, pe- and, and also just developing young. Like I developed 12, 13, same thing big chest right away would get teased. Yeah, I understand. I understand. So go on. So I used to want to just like hide that area, which then in turn began to like hide the whole body. And so I would like wear oversized clothes. Um, I never wore two piece bathing suits, like all of these things. And as you were talking about um, your dance teacher, I also grew up dancing in musical theater. I was also a cheerleader. And I remember freshman year of high school, we were um, at cheerleading practice and I was one of the bases who holds up the, the girl who's the flyer, who's doing the stunts. And my coach looked at me and she's like, you know what, let's put you up as the flyer. You're tiny. And then she was like, I'm going to base you. 
And so she sat there and she took my spot and she's like, wow, you hide it well. And I was like, what? And she's like, you weigh more than you look. And I was like taken aback by that comment. And how old were you? How old were you? I was a freshman in high school. Yeah, that's it. That's the end of it. That's how Mm -hmm. it starts. We have to be so, people have to be so careful in general. I'm hoping it's getting better than when I was a kid or when you were a kid. The way that we talk to young girls, specifically young girls. I know boys struggle with this now too, more so than when I was growing up. But just you can't say something like that to a freshman in high school, a a female freshman in high school, period. Yeah. By that time, like I was already having issues around like my breast size. And I knew that's where my my weight was coming from. But Uh I was like a full C cup in my freshman year of high school. Me too. (laughs) Actually, I might even have been a D. It was it was. Yeah, I get it. I get I mean, it. I dressed as a Hooters girl my freshman year of high school for Halloween. <laughs> so if that if that's any indication, but the best part of that costume is my grandma made it. So we can we can just stop right there. Okay, so just FYI, I've also dressed as a Hooters girl, but it was in college. So I knew I liked you. I knew we were very similar. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that your grandma made the costume. That's even yeah. funnier. The best part is she took a kid's like extra large shirt from Hooters and then sewed it down to like fit all of my measurements. It was hilarious. Oh my God. What Like, hello, best grandmother ever. That's so cute. So, so that was like, so far there's been several different pieces that have started. So it's like the building, the, the building, the, the matter or the building blocks of like, planting the seed into like an, like a young, beautiful girl who was a model and obviously did not have any weight problem whatsoever. And like, look at what it did to you. Right. I mean, it's so sad. It's, it's awful. And I, and, and I'm, I'm sure it still happens. I mean, this is part of the reason why I'm like, my youngest daughter really wants to go into acting and we're like, I'm like, okay, I guess I'll let her get headshots. But it, just because I went through it, I'm like, I don't want my kids going through what I went through. I don't know if you feel the same way. If you had have kids, if you would feel the same way I do. It's definitely something that I've thought about. I mean, yeah. so I, I shot my first commercial at 10 days old and wow. it just from there, like, and that was completely coincidental. Like my brother was actually a pageant baby. He was two and a half when my mom had me, his agent called and was like, Hey, we have this audition and we want him to go. He's already, he was like basically precast for the part. And my mom's like, no, I have a newborn. And, and the, (laughs) the agent was like, Oh, great. We actually have a spot in a commercial for flowers. Can you take her there? Like she basically, I would, I had the part then and there. My mom's like, no, she literally just came out of me 10 days ago. And they're like, no, that's perfect. And that's what started it. And I grew up like my best friend was one of the main models for uh, Ford models as like the kid division. And there were times she was getting like every single campaign, but she was also extremely like, she went as Twiggy for Halloween one year. Like that's how her body was. And then there was my body. And then I remember we were on a, an audition together for Lee jeans and they stood all the girls in a circle and we all had to look at each other. 
And they literally went one by one and they got to me and they were like, you're too pretty to model our clothes. And they went to my best friend and she got the campaign. And I was, I was so confused. And to this day, I'm still very confused about that whole situation. Cause I was like, as a 10 year old, how do you process that comment? And then how do you stand there while they say that? And then your best friend gets the campaign. What are they thinking of your best friend? Is she just like, like the girl next door? Is she just cute? Like, what is that? And so it, the whole and did the girl and did the girl that got the your best friend did she hear them say that? I honestly don't know. It was wow. so, and then I lost like a huge campaign for American Girl. Like I was booked, I was supposed to leave, and then a week before, five days before my flight, my agent texted me or not. Sorry, didn't text me. We didn't have we didn't have phones back then. My agent uh, paged my mom. My mom called back and was like, "Oh." Um, they're going with the blonde. So like at last minute, like everything was all about aesthetics and it, it's just crazy. So to your point, yeah, I mean, it would definitely be a very thorough conversation to have with a child about getting into it and like having them really understand it is at the end of the day, it's a business and mm-hmm. you, they don't care about your feelings as a child. Yeah, that's terrifying. Let me ask you. So when did your when did you really get get into the depths of of like being in your eating disorder? I wanted to really quickly say just because I can relate and this ha- this recently happened to me. I was in Charleston, South Carolina for a wedding in May. It was my cousin's wedding and my mom gave me all these like um pictures and letters. And then she even gave me pictures of my kids back. I'm like, mom, are you going somewhere? Like, why are you giving me pictures of of your grandchildren? My mom's pretty funny. And um, she gave me this essay that I had written probably like, oh, it had to have been in college. And it was about my struggles with, I was bulimic. So I was bulimic on and off. Like I struggled with bulimia from the time I was 13 until the time I like through college and I would go through waves where I would be fine. But I, I, Rachel did not remember when I read, when I read the paper that was so like transparent and real, how sick I really was. I I completely had put it out of my head. Like I had, I didn't remember the stories and the things I wrote about. It was this really long paper And it was really, really sad. And I don't know if you feel this way too, where you just want to like go to your young self and like shake your young self and be like, please do not listen to what they are saying to you. Like, like I wish that there was some way that I could have talked to myself, like in back to the future and been like, what do you don't, they're not, they have, they're idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. You're perfect. Just the way you are. Do you ever feel that way? Yeah, it's actually really funny that you say that. So there's a few different things I want to talk about. One is I I wrote a book about my recovery through poetry, and um, it's called The Hunger, which is actually what my podcast was like kind of um, – it, it's an offshoot of it because the hungry to live, the hunger. Anyway, um, can people still buy this book? Yes, the it's hunger? on Amazon. Is it on, it's on Amazon. Amazon. I'm going to buy it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get it. I I didn't know that. So thank you for telling me that. 
You're welcome. So it chronicles my eating disorder through poetry and it's mm-hmm. 120 pieces. And I, I too dealt with bulimia though. I never thought it was bulimia because it was exercise bulimia. So for those who don't know mm-hmm. exercise bulimia, instead of uh, purging via laxatives or throwing up my way to purge was through exercise. And I would literally run or walk or bike or all of them or play all the sports until I literally couldn't move. Like my body always felt as if it was being hit by a bus when I would wake up in the morning because I would, I would just, I was deflated and everything that I put in, I would, um, in a sense, just like put out exercise. Um, I was also anorexic and I was a huge restrictor, but, um, to your point about like how sad you were. So the title of my book actually came to me in my early twenties when I was going through my recovery. Cause a friend of mine, I was, I was at this um, camp and we were supposed to like connect with our, ourselves and a higher being. And my friend was like, what do you call like the, what do you call the thing that you believe in? And I was like, you know, it's my hunger. It's my hunger to live. It's my hunger to continue my life. It's my hunger for all these things. But really, it's also just my hunger because I was starving myself. And then so that's how the title of my book came to be. But at that same camp, everyone got a note card, an index card, and you had to write your name on it. And then someone else had to pick, everyone put their names the index cards in a hat and then someone else had to pick up the card and you had to write something to that person. And my Mm -hmm. index card said, Rachel, you don't have to be so sad. And it was anonymous. I have no idea who wrote this to me. And to this day, it's like driving me nuts because I never realized how sad I was until somebody anonymously wrote it to me. I knew I was sad. Like I would lock myself in my bedroom after rehearsals, after um, um, uh, practices. I would like turn up, don't let the sun go down on me on my old CD player and just like put it on repeat. Like, so I, I was, I was very sad, but it never really dawned on me how sad I was until almost a complete stranger wrote that on a card. And I was like, wow, that's what I exude. And Mm -hmm. so um, it is very interesting that you point that out. And also in regards to my book, I wrote that book in my early 20s and I didn't get it out until my early 30s because for 10 years, I knew the, the depths of my struggle and I didn't want my parents or any of my family to read it because I didn't want them to know how much I was hurting. So I was trying to yeah. protect them when really the whole point of me writing the book was to help others who were dealing with it as well. So it's just so interesting how when you look like there's a huge, there's a cycle, life is a huge cycle and everything happens mm-hmm. for a reason. And when the time is right, your story will come out. All of these things will happen. You'll connect with certain people, but my, I guess my advice I would give is like, don't force it, but know that it happens for a reason and you don't have to be afraid to share it. I love that. I think it's so important for people to hear. And it's like, you just, you know, it's, you think 
that you th I think about these young girls. I happen to have two daughters, which is terrifying to me. One says to me, she even said it today. She's absolutely like perfect. It's my child. I think that she, she's perfect because she's my child. I try, I never talk to my kids about appearance because I don't want them to be, to feel like that's what they're defined by. Right. Because that's how I felt growing up. If I wasn't, if I wasn't picked for something, I wasn't pretty enough. I wasn't skinny enough. I wasn't this enough. But it's hard when you have a daughter that's 12 and she's saying stuff to you like, mom, I'm so ugly. Um, mom, my nose is too big. My jaw is too big. My hair is ugly. I like, I'm getting all of this stuff. And it kind of like, it's hard because you don't really know what to say as a parent, you know, except say, you know, I think you're perfect. I think you're perfect just the way that you are. And, and, but I wish that every kid like that struggled like you or I did and had other people kind of planting the blocks and the seeds, because I'm assuming it wasn't your parents, right? That were saying anything to you. It just happened to be that it was in the industry. Am I wrong on that? Because my mom kind of was saying stuff to me because she was in, she was a model and she did beauty pageants and she didn't even realize that she was saying things to me. And, and we've had, so my mom just came on the podcast, so she listens and I don't blame her, but she was just doing the best she could. So let me ask you that. And I really also want to know, sorry, I'm talking so much when, when your eating disorder really started, like when did it get to the point where it was really bad? So I know that's a big question. Okay. So yes, I don't think anything that was ever said to me by my mom was said maliciously. Like, I just want to say mm -hmm. that, um, mm -hmm. there's one thing that's, there's two times that have, that stood, have stood out in my head for years. One is when I had tried on a two piece bathing suit and it was, I was probably like 11, maybe 12. And I came out and my mom's like, oh, that doesn't look good in your midsection. Like, first yeah. of all, yes, yeah. I had baby fat. Like, who who really doesn't unless if like you just are gifted with. Yeah, genetically don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so um, that always stood out. And then for my 21st birthday, I bought this dress at Betsy Johnson that was so cute, which I ended up returning because of her comment. But it was like. It was one of those, like, it fit perfectly on, on the, like, chest part and the, it was fitted on the top. And then it, like, had, like, um, like a tulle skirt. So it just mm -hmm. made, it made me not very shapely on the bottom part. And yeah. so sh my dad ended up going with me to the mall and I bought it. I had saved up a bunch of money. I was like, this is my first Betsy Johnson dress. I'm so excited. <laughs> and when I tried it on for my mom, when I got home, she was like, why would you get that? Or like something along those lines, like it doesn't actually show your shape. And I was just like, really? Like I spent all of this time saving up money for this dress. And that's what like, just let me wear it. <laughs> so I ended up returning yeah. it because I was so 
in my head about why, like, I always wanted to please my parents. I never did anything. I, I never broke rules, like all of these things. Um, so to answer your question, yes, those were two specific times when, um, um, things happened that I internalized. And then with my dad, my dad was always working in the show in show business. And I would always give him my headshots to give to the casting directors. And I'd always find my headshots in the back of his truck. And he would never give them to the casting directors. And I always was offended because I was like, does he not think I'm pretty enough? Does he not think that I should be on the show? And then I, I've come to realize it was he was trying to protect me. Yeah. So he never wanted like, it's not that he didn't want to help me and he didn't want me to be successful. He was just trying to protect me because that at the end of the day, I was his little girl. Um, but it was hard for me to understand at that point. However, during all of that time, um, as I have said earlier, like I was fully developed by the time I was in sixth grade. But I, while I was developed, my body wasn't doing what it should have been doing. And so I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's and my thyroid was completely underactive. Okay. And um, because of that, um, I was put on medication to like help my thyroid and all my hormones uh, work properly. And I, at that exact same time, I became a vegetarian. I became a vegetarian at 11. I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's at 12. And I never had enough iron. So long story short, my endocrinologist was like, oh, you know what you should do? I also wasn't drinking milk. Like I I had an issue with milk since I was a kid. So I've never, I haven't had a glass of milk since about nine years old. And okay. the endocrinologist is like, why don't you drink Slim Fast? because it's full of all of these vitamins and minerals, not as like a supplement, but like drink that with whatever you're eating for breakfast, because it'll help you. Like you'll have the, you'll get the dairy, you'll get the calcium, you'll get the magnesium, you'll get all these things that you need because you're growing. Well, I heard drink slim fast. So yeah. beginning in sixth grade and um, like throughout middle school, I actually drank Slim Fast to drink Slim Fast and it became a meal replacement and it became my breakfast and no one bothered to tell me to not do it or to supplement it with something else. And I would then get called in the counseling office because my mom would call the counselor at the school and ask for them to talk to me because she thought I had an eating disorder, but wouldn't mm -hmm. talk to me herself. And would be the one to buy the Slim Fast. So, like, there was just so many conflicting messages coming to me. Yeah. So then I would, that started in middle school. And then high school is when I started to exercise bulimia. When I really started to, like, figure out that there were other ways to burn calories and hide the fact that I was purging. So I would get up before school started. I would run a couple miles. I would then go to school. I made sure to always find the furthest staircase, walk to class, like from one point, from point A to point B at like the furthest points of um, access. Um, I made sure that I was always in like all the conditioning classes. I did cheerleading, show choir, soccer. And then on top of all of that, I would go running on my own after, after all my practices and rehearsals, like it never ended. Yeah. And then, um, 
college came, I was, the thing is, through all of this, I always, like, my weight had plateaued. I was always just, like, normal. And then in college. That's something I do want to talk about, and I'm sorry to talk over you. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D, designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. So if you would have seen me, I was always curvy. I was always like, I, if, if anything, I, I destroyed my metabolism. So I would have like mm-hmm. ups and downs and I would get heavy. Like I remember at one point, I had gained like a bunch of weight and, you know, because I was, I, my metabolism like lost control basically. And, um, that's something I would like to point out because people assume if you have an eating disorder, you know, if you're anorexic, you know, whatever it is, it's still dependent on your body type. And a lot of times you can't necessarily tell if somebody is really sick from the outside. So I wanted to kind of point that out. Do you agree with that? Yeah, Yeah. it's 100% true. Like, I just always looked like I was athletic. And Mm -hmm. when it became evident is um, in college, I was actually put on a birth control pill for my acne. I wasn't even sexual. I wasn't sexually active at all, even through high school and college, because I was so, I hated my body so much that I didn't want to share it with anybody else. So, um, I got put on a birth control actually for my acne and it had made me gain a lot of weight. And from there, that's when I started playing this game of like, let me see what I could eat to make me lose weight. And then let me see how much exercise I could do to uh, keep it off but then find ways that I can have like a cheat day. And by the way, cheat days, I think are like hell, like mm. don't, don't really work because at the end of the day, if you are struggling with an eating disorder, you're either, it's either going to go one way or another for you. You're either going to overcompensate the day after your cheat day, or you're going to overcompensate days before your cheat day just to make mm. room to, um, to, except that you can eat this food. And so like, it's just a game you don't want to play with yourself. And I gained all that weight. 
I then, from the time I gained that weight, I, I'm not saying numbers just because I know that could be a trigger point for people. Yes. Yeah. 100%. I, I will say that from that point of weight gain, I graduated in May by January of that following year. So almost seven, eight months, I had lost that amount of weight that I had gained plus 20 more pounds. Yeah. So yeah. it was, I, it was very sad. It was, I mean, it began, you could actually then see it and all that muscle that I had talked about having it all atrophied and I had nothing like nothing. I was skin and bones and my parents at that point finally were like, we're gonna like, I never went to a facility, but I, I was able to get, I was able to go through recovery, piece together certain things and all of, I was able to do it my own way and I yeah. fully got through it, but um, it was definitely a challenge. So I, could, I can say like it started in middle school. But there were different points within the eating disorder itself that it got worse and then it got better. Like recovery is not yeah. linear. Yeah, a hundred percent. And everybody's experience. So like you're saying you were skin and bones. I never I I don't understand for me, I was never anorexic. Um, I I would eat to the point where I, I would just binge and binge and binge and, and the binging eventually caught up to me, but everybody's eating it. Like I have a, my, one of my very best friends almost died of, of anorexia and bulimia. And it was very, very scary to be visiting her. And to be honest with you, I, I, I have guilt about that. And I've told her cause I found that paper and I was with her the first time I showed her how to binge and purge. So I've always kind of like, like blamed myself. And I've told her that and she's like, Megan, it's not your fault. But you know, these things in life, like you said, everything happens for a reason. I say that all the time. This is just a chapter piece or whatever it is, but it does stick with you. And I think it's so important that people understand that, um, everybody's journey with an eating disorder that has one is different. Right. And it, like you said, it's, you don't like recover in a day. <laughs> it takes a lot of work. It's for, if you started your struggles with an eating disorder, like I did in sixth grade, and then you went all the way through college, like I did, it was like, you know, learning a whole new way of life. And then like looking back on it now, I mean, I'm an old lady. I look back on it and I'm like, I don't even remember that. And why did I do that? And like my dental issues, you know, like that I like, you know, I just had a tooth that had to be pulled. Like teenagers and kids need to understand that there's long-term effects that will follow you with your health when you've struggled with, you know, whether it be bulimia or anorexia. So I just wanted to point that out too. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I'm at this point where I was actually just talking to my OB yesterday and I was like, I don't know if I should be fertility tested because I don't know if I can even have a baby at this point in my life. Like I didn't have my period for two years when I was at my, when I was, I want to say sickest, but I don't want to say that word only because like, 
you probably were, it, it, happen, it could have happened within your age group as well as mine. Like, yeah, I, I tried to get into um, a, a, a program and my insurance, my parent, I was under my, my parents' insurance at the time. They wouldn't um, accept my insurance insurance because they said I wasn't sick enough. I don't know how you determine somebody with an eating disorder being sick enough, especially after, like if I sent in pictures, they would have been like, yes, this person's skeletal, like they need help. But based on what I was going through and their criteria and the criteria of the insurance company, I wasn't sick enough. That's absurd. It's absurd. And it Mm -hmm. also, it also has to do with this whole, like, you know, I don't know if you feel this way too. I'm very obviously passionate about this subject. I'm talking, I feel bad that I'm talking over you, but the the whole thing about your BMI and like what you weigh mm-hmm. should be thrown out of, that should be thrown in the trash can because we all have d- different bone dense, like our bones are different. We're bigger. My wrist, like I'm a big girl. I'm my dad. My dad was an athlete. I'm my dad's daughter. I'm my thinnest, you know, I weighed a lot. So I find that, tragic. I hope to God that it's not like that anymore in um, these clinics, because I I am aware of that. And, you know, you could see somebody and have no idea that they're struggling with an eating disorder. And that just need that just infuriates me to be honest, to hear that story. Yeah, it's it's also like, I didn't even realize this until COVID. Um, Mm -hmm. But an eating disorder is actually part of mental illness. I mean, the yeah. the underlying issue of your eating disorder has, there's mental illness in there. Like whatever it mm-hmm. is that you're dealing with and the what why you're restricting or binging or purging, it's because there is a disconnect in your brain. And it just, it's, the, the whole system is, insane. That's all I'm going to say. Can I ask you, do you feel like it's getting better or like, this is my question and I'm guilty of this too. I've talked openly about it. I'm very vain. I get Botox. I've had filler. I've done pretty much everything to stay like youthful and, you know, still look good. My body is never going to be what it was at one point. I, I still struggle. I still struggle. And I can't even begin to tell you how many hours of the day I think about my physical appearance and what I, I still like go, well, if I do this, I'll be thinner. I'm still struggling with it at this age, you know, where it's a constant for me, but I have tricks and things that I do now that I kind of like you know, I'm more positive towards myself. I talk to myself in a different way than I think I used to. Um, but I was curious to to see if you thought it was worse because we're you're younger than I am. But if you like now I see like all the filters on everything, but then they also have like plus size models or bigger size models. And most most clothing companies, if you look online like anthropology or whatever it is. But the problem is with that, that I find is they have two sizes. They have a stick figure that weighs like a hundred, less than a hundred pounds and is uh, six feet. That's what it seems. And then they have somebody that's like uh, much larger and then they don't have anything in between. So I was curious as to if you thought that it's better or you think it's worse. Cause in some ways I feel like it's worse now. Yeah, I agree. I mean, 
it's so challenging when you have both ends of the spectrum to look at and nothing in between because Mm -hmm. people really just want to see, yes, that the prototypical stereotypical model, everyone is like, Oh my God, like I want to aspire to be that when in reality, they're probably going through something of their own and they are, they look like that not because of genetic predisposition. Like, yes, they probably have a stature that is smaller, but there are things they're doing to also stay that size. A hundred percent. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, it is really problematic that there isn't like a quote unquote normal sized model in most of these things. Uh, in most of these advertisements, in um, even still in commercials, like it is one or the other. It's like you don't find the person that you see outside when you're at the park. Like you don't see just whatever normal looks like or whatever we find as a society to be normal. It isn't normalized. Like that's just what but it the, is. And, that, and then add in like the filters on social media. Yeah. You know, then- I can, I absolutely cannot imagine. And I talk about this a lot. Um, and I'm guilty of using filters because it's like I'm lazy. Sometimes I don't want to put makeup on. I have to shoot something for the podcast or a promo or something. I don't want to put makeup on. So I'll just quickly put on a filter. I try not to do the, I used to use like the ones that were like ridiculous where I'd like eyelashes. I'm like, what kind of message am I sending to people? But then you think about these young girls and I know that if I were this age, so I'm older than you, but I was obsessed with like Kate Moss and like Cindy Crawford and Claudia Schiffer when I was a teenager. And I would take magazines like my Vogue's and I would, put them all over my wall, you know, and I would be like, someday I'm going to look like them. And that was, you know, I was struggling with an eating disorder pretty heavily at that point. Um, But now it's like these girls, like you just said, it's like you either are one extreme or you're the other, or there's fit models, right. That are the athletes that have like the six packs and are doing like, you know, Lululemon or Athleta or whatever it is. But then, like you said, there is nobody like in between. So then it kind of makes you go, well, what am I? I'm not this and I'm not that. And do I not look good because I can't be an an ad for something? Am I going to be told either to put on a hundred pounds or am I going to be told to lose a hundred pounds? You know what I'm saying? It's really kind of like a big mental. I've thought about this a lot lately just because I have young girls and I struggle with it. And I think it's pretty scary. Yeah, I think that social media in general has made it a lot more difficult and challenging for those who are struggling with body image and positive body awareness because Mm -hmm. there's especially like, I'm sure just by this conversation, my phone is sitting right next to me. I'm going to start getting random like pop up, but this diet culture is very toxic and I think that I have way more videos that pop up on my stream about how to get a six pack or how to like get yeah. in 10 minutes. Like that, no, that isn't a thing. Like it's really not a thing. Like, and it's all over the place. And these young kids are like, that's what they're watching. And then they're going to become, a, they're obsessing over these videos. They're obsessing over these filters. And that isn't reality. And like, to your point, 
I, I thought about actually putting makeup on this morning and I don't because that I feel like that's part of who I am and part of my brand. Like I just, I am who I am and I'm not afraid to be that. You don't not need that. makeup. Yes. I'm not trying to make this about looks, but you're beautiful. Thank you're you. physically beautiful. You're in, also beautiful. I know on the inside, which is I think the most important part, these now are on YouTube. And honestly, like I did put on lipstick. I was like, if I put on lipstick, maybe I can camouflage that I don't have makeup on. I don't know really what I was thinking. When I did that. Women, like that's just yeah. how we are though. We, we feel like yeah. we have to look a certain way in order to be presentable and in order for people to like us and want to listen to us, want to watch us. Yeah. Because even on TV, like how much makeup does it take to look like you're not wearing any makeup so much. <laughs> and that's like, I know you see these ads too now. And they're like, let's put on brown, like strips on your cheeks and your forehead. And then like light foundation and mix it all together. I'm like, who, like, who even like thought of this and how do people even have time? And how does that actually, when you rub it in, you probably up close look like you have makeup caked on. I mean, that, it's ridiculous, right? I mean, and you have to imagine like some of the people that are on TV constantly have so much makeup because they're sweating with all the lights. So it's just mm -hmm. like makeup on top of makeup. And that's yeah. one of the things is like, we forget at the end of the day, we're all just people. <laughs> not like we're these we have this persona that we're trying to put on for everybody all the time and it, it shouldn't even it's gotten so convoluted at the end of the day and at the end of like what's important at this point in our society is how people look what size someone is how some like literally the physical how much, money, how much money they have, what kind of car they drive. I mean, let's be real. Exactly. We live in Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. Material. Um, let me ask you, and I know this has been like more of a conversational episode and I am so sorry. I'm like such a big giant loud mouth, but if I'm passionate about a subject, I find myself really having a hard time reeling it in. I feel like maybe sometimes if my listeners listen to this, they're probably like, shut up, like let the girl talk. But it, I, I want, I'm really just trying to support what you're saying. And also I'm very passionate about this because I don't want, I, I just wish that this could stop. You know, I wish that there was something that looking back all those years. And for me, it started a long, long time ago. Just to say, like we talked about, like, just stop, just be a kid, just like ignore those idiots, just didn't ignore. I had a dance instructor say, I, you know, like, oh, you need to lose weight or in college. Um, I had a professor that I literally to this day can't stand. So if she's listening to this, thank you so much for telling everybody I was bulimic in the theater department. I'm not editing that out either. Allegedly. I'm going to say allegedly. Um, but, um, she, you know, she was like, I had to be like put on this like swing. I was in a show and they, and she was like, I had put my weight down on a card and she goes, are you sure that that's what you weigh? You don't look like you weigh that, like trying to be mean. And it was really like, she was just mean to me. She hated me all these years later. I could never figure out why she hated me so much. 
And honestly, I will say this. I think she was jealous. Like, why else would you say stuff like that, you know, to a young, young girl that was in her 20s and this lady was older? You know, it's just women really need to learn that the things that they say, whether you're a teacher, which you are, I know you would never do this, or if you're in an authoritative position, like shut your mouth, shut your mouth. Don't talk about people's appearance. If you're, if you're, I get it. If you're like in a modeling company or you own Ford that you have to talk to these young girls about what they weigh. But in my opinion, they should, they all need to gain weight because they're all like how many stories you hear about how they're addicted to drugs and dying. So I'll get off my pedestal. What I wanted to ask you is how did you get into recovery? Like, was there like a breaking point for you where you were like, I'm done. I need to get help. Yeah. Um, so I used to fall asleep and my heart would palpitate and I didn't know if I was going to wake up in the morning uh-huh. and it was scary. Like, frankly, it was scary. And I didn't want to tell my parents and, um, I got into a graduate program and the same summer that the graduate program was going to start, my parents wanted to send me to a facility, the same facility that the insurance company said I wasn't sick enough to go to. And I also got into that camp I talked about earlier. And so I told my parents, I said, I'm going to go away for the summer to this camp. I'm going to defer my acceptance to grad school. I'm not going to go to this facility, but I'm going to go away for five weeks, be away from the family. Because what had happened one of the things that had happened was I moved back home for the first time in four years. And after having so much independence, I felt like I lost it all. I lost my identity I had in college because I came home Mm -hmm. and moved back home with my, my parents. And then all of a sudden like reality hit and I had to figure out my life, even though I really didn't, but I was trying to control all these things. And the only thing that I thought I was really controlling was my food intake, which was actually controlling me. And long story short, I ended up going to that camp for five weeks. And when I got back from that camp, um, I was like, okay, I'm now going to do hardcore. Like every day I went to therapy, like I, I did art therapy, one-on-one therapy. I went to groups. I went to a bunch of, um, at the time I had a friend that was going to a lot of different 12 step meetings. So I would go to different meetings with her because while I wasn't part of those groups, I still felt like there was a connection that I needed. I, and so it was really helpful to be part of that environment for me. Um, and I, that was, I mean, that was really it. Like I threw myself into this makeshift recovery. I I had a dietitian that I went to um, for a long time. I would struggle with my dad sitting um, in the kitchen, watching me like put peanut butter on my toast. And because like, you don't have enough. And I'm like, at least I have some, like this was the most fat I was putting in my body for like the longest time. And He's like, you need more. And I would be like, can you please just go away? Um, but like, I want to ask you something on that point. Do you mm-hmm. struggle now? This is something I still struggle with. Um, it, like when people 
I, if I open the reference, my stepfather was a monster and he knew I was struggling with bulimia. And every time I would go to the refrigerator, he would come, like, I would hear him behind me clearing his throat. And to this day, I'm like, so I still freak out about it. It still makes me angry. One day my husband did like was behind me. I was like, what do you want? And he's like really mad at me because I snapped at him. Do you still struggle with like those, like, kind of things where you're weird about like certain things from eating or, you know, being in recovery, but there's still little pieces that always kind of stick with you. I'm curious to know that. Yeah, there are definitely times and things that make me cringe or things I just have to let go. Um, During Mm -hmm. COVID was really hard because that was the first time that I actually stocked my freezer for like two mm-hmm. months worth of food. And I I don't know if I've ever done that, like ever in my entire life. Because yeah. growing up, I never had to like worry about it because my parents had food for me. But then I went yeah. to school and then I moved back and then I lived on my own and I lived with friends. But like I never fully stopped anything because of my eating disorder. And then I had to do it. So that freaked me out. Um, And then... I actually checked myself into an intensive outpatient program during COVID online because I was starting to realize that before anything got bad, I wanted to have it in check. And that during those um, group sessions, I was able to talk about like, I started dating someone and I had to like, let go of like, if he wanted to cook for me or if he wanted to make me toast in the morning and put peanut butter on it, I had to let go of what, how much he put of like how much oil he put in the pan when he, when he roasted the vegetables or how much peanut butter he put on the toast. And like these little things that people probably think are silly, like in our heads, they're not because we had clung to them for so long and that's what we knew. Mm-hmm. And I'm still very much into like, what's a safe food for me. And like, there's certain things I still eat routinely every day. Because mm-hmm. I, I know how I will react. But um, one story I want to share is Christmas cookies always, always trigger me. Because when I was going through my recovery, mm-hmm. or before I went into recovery, um, my mom got a bunch of Christmas cookies from students because she's also a teacher. Yeah. And my parents didn't want to throw them out because they didn't want to waste them. So my yeah. mom told my dad to put them all in my bedroom because she they knew I wasn't going to touch them. And I was like, uh, no. Like, that's what's the difference between putting them in my room and putting them in the trash can? Just put them in the trash. Like, I, I, wow. I'm still baffled by yeah. that. Yeah. And so every year when Christmas cookies come or if, like, families give me cookies or chocolates, like, most of the time, I will just either donate them or give them to another staff member because I just don't, I don't want to even begin to to like either binge on those. Cause now I know what my triggers are when it comes to food. And like, I don't keep snacks in my apartment. I don't, I, I don't do certain things that I know are going to trigger me one way or the other. Well, because there's always going to be triggers when you've, when you've dealt with something for that long, you know? Um, But, but do you feel like if there, if there's like young audience members or say there is somebody that's listening to this and is anorexic, I I don't understand 
anorexia. I didn't struggle with that personally, but what, like, is there something that you say to young girls that like, you know, you feel like being a teacher or whatever it is, is there anything you say to them like that you wish you would have known that they, nobody ever said to you? I'm always curious about that. Yeah. I mean, what I would say is it's, it's normal to not feel like yourself. However, Mm -hmm. what will help you is to find a trusted adult and talk to them because there are so many people who want to help you, but if you don't trust that person or if somebody, if you don't feel that connection to somebody that is going to have this secret of yours, you're going to just keep the secret to yourself and feed it or not yeah. it in this case. And yeah. I think what's really important is understanding that there's nothing wrong with you. There's really nothing wrong with you. You're just going through something and you need to find a way to balance yourself in the in the way of um, nourishing your mind, body, and soul. And to be young and understand that concept is hard. But what I can advise, especially to students and the families of students I work with, if there is an issue that is you're starting to see, the first thing I would do is remove social media. Like the access yeah. to social media is going to really affect how somebody views themselves because there's a disassociation that someone with an eating disorder has from their own body. And then the disassociation then becomes associated to what they see in front of them. And what they see in front of them is not reality. Social Mm -hmm. media is not social reality. And that's the problem. There's a disconnect between social media and real life. It's not real. It's, it's like uh, my friend Mitzi and I joke all the time for years. We're always like, God, I wish I had my Facebook life. I have such a great Facebook life or like even my Instagram life on my personal Instagram. I'm like, that looks really good. Like, but I remember that day when we shot that video, I was screaming at my husband and I told him I hated him. Like, let's be real, you know, but it's, it's like this weird thing that we feel like we have to do and I'm guilty of it. But I do agree. I try to limit my kids from um, being um, on. I don't let my 12 year old have social media. We found out she was sneaking a TikTok. She got in big trouble. Um, Where do you see yourself in closing? Where do you see yourself in five years? Like, what is your master plan, Rachel, for like what you want to do with your podcast, Hungry to Live? Um, please check out her podcast, by the way, I, I, it's a newer podcast, but I went on it, I guess like a month or two ago. And, Mm -hmm. and so my episode is out, um, her podcast, where can they find your podcast? Apple, Spotify, where else? So you can find my podcast, um, hungry, the number two live on Spotify, Apple, Claire FM, Buzzsprout, 
all of the all of the platforms. You can also find my website at hungrythenumber2live.com. And it has everything from my my story, the all of the episodes of my podcast, the book that I've published. I have a series of children's books um, wow. that I'm looking for a publisher or an agent. Um, it's it's a series that is very relatable that really needs to be out right now. There's actually one story about body image. It was um, written after one of my fifth grade students um, had some tendencies of anorexia, definitely has a lot of body image issues. And she was, um, <clears throat> the story was written to basically depict how all of these kids wanted to be friends with her because she was skinny and pretty. And oh yeah. inside she yeah. was struggling. And when someone asked her what she wanted, who, what she wanted to look like, she said, I want to look like you because you're normal. Yeah. So it's just, I love like, that. I love that you're doing that. Where, where do you see yourself in five years? Do you want to continue fact, kind of on this path? I do. I still, I, I love working with the special ed community, but I really, really want to get my books published. I really want to be a speaker and a child advocate for all of these hard topics. You know what? Don't say you want to, you manifest you're going to. You say, I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to have it. a series of children's books. Currently I have four. In five I'm years, they'll be out. I'll be reading them. Yeah. It's all about manifesting. It really mm -hmm. is true. I mean, when I started this, like how up two years ago, like, I'm like, I didn't, I joke about this. I'm like, I didn't even really know what a podcast was. And then I kind of like manifested like this will happen and that will happen. And, and so that's what you do. And like, so your books in five years, will be all be able to get them. We'll be seeing you speak because you'll, you're going to be this like badass speaker. And I am honored that you came on. I'm sorry if I talked a lot this episode. I just, sometimes when I get really passionate about something and if I can relate, which is, my passion for helping other people, especially young women, young girls that have struggled with self-esteem or self-doubt or not thinking that they're pretty enough or good enough. Let me just tell you, you are, you are worth it. If you're listening to this, you need to keep going. We're all getting old. Everybody, every day from the minute you come out of the womb or however you get here, you're, you're aging. So we're all aging. We're all getting older. You know, you just have to learn to really love your insides. And once you really start to love your insides, which I'm working on and trying to get there like myself way more than I did two years ago, then you start to like yourself even more. And what you look like on the outside, we need to remind them ourselves is not what really matters. Although it's hard to kind of think that way. Um, Rachel, it's an honor to know you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I love this conversation. Um, and if you are struggling and you're listening to this, whether it be with your mental health or you're struggling with an eating disorder, there's always help. Um, I just posted the other day, I guess I'm the last person to know that there's now a hotline for if you're struggling, like you have suicidal um, ideations or you're suicidal. Did you know that you can call 988? Did you hear that, yeah, Rachel? I did. I heard. I think that's a new thing because there used to be a suicide hotline. Yeah. 
800 number and now they they made it yeah yeah so it was um well I just had that episode with Kate come out but there was a suicide hotline and then I messaged her the other day and I guess I'm the last person that knew that the 988 number was launching on July 16th so I was like isn't this weird that we just did an episode this must be a sign and I think that they must have heard me talking because then I started getting ads for 988. Isn't that crazy? Anyway, so in closing, everybody, keep going, keep working on yourself and be happy by making others happy.